Hello, creeps. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost. I mean host for today's exciting tale of terror. Glenn Danzig's Veronica or Lenek A challenge to the psychoanalytic establishment. <laughs> Welcome, Dorklings. My name is Mortella, and this is Horror Vanguard. <laughs> oh, that was better than I could have hoped for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if, any, if anybody needs a discount uh, Crypt Keeper voice actor, just give me a call. I will work for scale. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Horror Vanguard. Uh, I am your co-ghost, John, otherwise known as the Liquid Guy, joined, as always, by my friend, my comrade, and crypt-dwelling cryptid, uh, Ash. (laughs) Ash. How how are you doing? I I feel feel like I've been reborn you know I, I feel i feel like i've been like dunked below holy waters and, and lifted up as a new man i uh, i i don't feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> i i feel i feel i feel strange and and sullied uh i feel like i feel like i have been to a pretty dark place and i don't i don't i don't know i don't know what to kind of how to pull myself out of this um, and it's and it is all, it's all your fault, and it's all the fault of Glenn Danzig. Um, I, I, I was going to say, yeah, the, this story goes back to the 1970s. <laughs> uh, it's yep, it is your fault, and it is, and and I blame Glenn Danzig for many things, but mostly for introducing me <laughs> to Verotica. Yes. Um, yes. Would you, could you, can you, can you, can you even, can you even explain to our listeners, what is Verotica? <laughs> so, uh, for the, for those of you that for, for some reason don't know this, Glenn Danzig is a relatively famous musician, uh, got his start with the 70s punk band, The Misfits. I'm sure you've seen their skull logo on literally everything. They're like the kiss of punk. You can get Misfits baby clothes, Misfits toilet paper, Misfits the flamethrower. It is all available. Danzig would later go on to create a band called Danzig after Danzig himself. Partway through that, uh, he also creates Verotic with no with no A at the end. Uh, like a comic book label that does... It's a portmanteau of violent and erotica. For some reason, for some reason, uh, like this year, Danzig released a movie. (laughs) Uh, And, and it was, uh, I think, I think the way that they put it is it's inspired by, it's inspired by the Verotic comic characters, right? Yeah, if by inspired by, like, like, I think, like, I mean, I know um, Mystery Girl is an adaptation and the same with, uh, uh, what is it? Drujika, Drukija, Drukaiju, Contessa of Blood. I know are both uh, staple <laughs> Verotic comics characters. There, there is a kind of long-running arc in the HV lore of 
um, Ash choosing films which are kind of marginalised and under underappreciated from kind of weird art house or experimental film directors. And, you know, I'll be honest, I, I thought for a second that this was going to be another one of those. I, I, I was like, oh, this is going to be an episode like um, our episode on um, the Black Tower, <laughs> which, which, you know, it's all about bringing attention to an underappreciated classic that more people should watch. Um, and then, 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 then the film started and, and it, it, this is not that episode. This the underappreciated cinema pendulum swings both ways, John. <laughs> I, 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 you know, this might be the film. This might be the film that has just broken my brain. Uh, and the longer I think about it, I, I, I think think of this as like, um, an arcane text in the Lovecraft mythos that we weren't supposed <laughs> to find, and and you have brought it out into daylight and it is it's sitting in my mind and it's just going to slowly drive me into complete like insanity i you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> so so where should we start with this um auteur work of cinematic art <laughs> well i think that so this is this is an anthology movie, and I, I suggest we take it one one entry at a time, nice nice yeah. and slow for everybody at home today. So this it is an anthology of three not related short stories, which have the kind of bare barest bones of a uh, of a framing narrative, which is basically like, what if Elvira, but not fun. <laughs> yeah it's like it's like an it's like an elvira meets a crypt keeper her name is morella she has like demon <laughs> horns and like you know like awesome goth makeup that feels like 10 years old it's fantastic i'm, I'm gonna stop you right there just just for a second what she has is upside down crosses <laughs> drawn on her face with an eyeshadow pencil yes um, <laughs> for, for reasons which are never clearly explained oh it's it's because it's because she's evil so she's got the upside down crosses on her face because because you get those when you're when you're a bad guy. Yeah, when you're when you're bad. <laughs> when you're bad. I, I I think like Morella is 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 the essence of this movie because like it, she is so saccharine, you know. It, it's just yeah. like like pure like like she is like chugging. This is this is the chugging corn syrup equivalent of camp horror. Yeah, but without but without any kind of like self-reflection or self-awareness that would make it into like high kitsch or yes when you get to the point where you're chugging corn syrup you've kind of left self-reflection at the wayside yeah absolutely and so 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 we come to uh and i will make i will make no like i'm not gonna hedge how i feel about the first section we come to what is maybe the greatest bit of horror comedy cinema I've ever seen in my entire life. It's it's so just really quickly before we jump in to uh, the albino spider of Daget. <laughs> <laughs> the, in in the opening Morella sequence, we're like uh, there's clearly a, a, an homage to to the great Italian horror filmmaker Fulci, 
where where Morella like uses her like super spooky goth nails to kind of gouge out a woman's eyes. It's fun. The effect works. It's really silly. But the whole time we get it, the woman, or like immediately after having her eyes plucked out, the woman is like, "Oh, my eyes! No, not my eyes!" <laughs> like, oh, oh, oh no, the, my eyes, which I love. It has not the bees energy. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, the the albino spider of Dajet, a heart pounding French noir story, <laughs> with with giallo overtones and a sense of black gloves and lace and crime. How how would, how did you feel about this uh, this particular artistic piece? Um, I, have, <laughs> I I I have some questions about. <laughs> okay, so yes, it's it's channeling a uh, kind of French uh, neo noir um, and supernatural horror, but it's what would happen if you wanted to make a short film in that style but you couldn't go to france and you had to go to you lived in la and you had no money to pay professional actors so you could only afford like the guys hanging out like behind your apartment complex and you told them to do just like do an accent just do an accent um and it's incredible. It's in, the, it's it's yeah. so good. The French accents are pretty strained, to say the least. Uh, okay, deep cut for you. Um, there was a British sitcom from uh, like the seventies and eighties, set during World War Two in 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 Nazi occupied France, uh, and it was called Allo Allo. Uh, and it revolved around the wacky adventures of the local innkeeper. And one of the characters was an undercover Englishman who was posing as a local gendarme. And uh, his kind of sitcom entrance line was always, Good morning. And that's what all of these people sound like. <laughs> that's what all of these actors sound like, that they heard yeah, an it's... Englishman... An Englishman pretending to do a bad French comedy accent in the seventies and went, "Oh my god!" <laughs> like I looked through, I looked through the careers of kind of everybody with a speaking line in this film, and they're all these are all like hardworking career actors that are churning out like they're they're extras in movies, they have speaking lines and and TV programs, mm-hmm. and so like a lot of the people in this project were like they rolled up to Veronica, they did their thing, they packed up, and then they rolled over to like CSI Miami or some other show. There are so many kind of baffling choices. There is a a, a French demon spider. <laughs> so so okay. I, I mean, I think we should we should set the scene a little bit here. Yeah, so no, yeah. Before we before we get before we get too far into it, let's let's do this kind of like <laughs> let's do this as kind of like as as factually and as uh, and you know normally I know you like to take a bit of kind of poetic license and I totally love it, but like before we get too far into this, let's as factually and as straightforwardly as possible. What is this opening sequence about? So for the first time in in doing these HV summaries, I do not wish to take poetic license uh, because Veronica takes all of the poetic license it needs, especially in the albino spider of Dejet's opening. <laughs> so our, our female protagonist, Dejet, is giving the most awkward blowjob to a guy I have ever seen. It, it is very much like 
these people don't know how to film a blowjob or like it's just it's incredible and the guy the whole time is just like ooh ooh wee wee yes the blowjob wee wee le blowjob it's just like it's it's really it's really like weird it's just it's just like a really weird scene to be watching oh and he he also he also both of them also appear to be fully clothed throughout a great deal of that opening shot this is one of the things that impresses me most because like he she is able to to give him head through his clothes which means that one of them is doing something really impressive and I just I have to salute right now for that because that is talent. Mm-hmm. But um so so what we see as the sex scene goes on is Dejet is uncomfortable with removing her top and why is that? Because she doesn't have nipples, she has eyes where her nipples should be. Talk about Mark Fisher's The Eerie. Okay, okay. If you do that again, I swear, I'm, 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 I'm leaving the call. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. So she, she's got she's got eyes where her nipples should be, and this is something that all of her other because Dejette Dejette is a sex worker. She's probably a stripper. All of her other friends are strippers or or some kind of like they're erotic models. It's very unclear as as to what what their jobs are. But like this is this is a reoccurring problem for Dejette. She just has to deal with this. You know, and like, like the, so the guy storms out of the, like, her apartment. And then two seconds later, one of Dejet's friends walks in. Maybe they're roommates? It's really unclear. But her friend walks in and her friend is like, oh, no, did, did it happen again with the eyes on your boobs? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, all I want to say, all I want to say before you carry on is that is, in all sincerity, a better French accent than literally <laughs> anybody in this is able to do. Uh, yeah, and this is this is like this is you know when we make fun of the silly French accents here, like like the people in, that acted in this movie, they're all hardworking actors. This is entirely on Danzig for for like either giving them no time to prepare or not enough resources or something, <laughs> like or just I mean, not hiring French people or something. I don't really know. If 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 you are in LA and you have LA based actors, none of whom have had dialect training none of whom who can do accents here's my here's my really out there directorial idea just set it in la whoa why why do they all need to be french i mean like literally literally dejet could have been set anywhere i wouldn't have even been like that's weird her name is a french name it, like... it would have been fine but anyway, uh, so so when dejet is sad her eye boobs cry boob tears um one of the boob tears uh drips directly from her bosom and then somehow teleports across the room and lands on a a really awkward 90s cg spider that's crawling on a flower a spider that looks like it's come out of like a ps2 game cutscene (laughs) oh yeah yeah this is this is a very this is a low poly uh spider (laughs) it's 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 barely the armature with a little skin on top and like so, so the magic boob tear hits the spider, and then the spider. Um, the transformation sequence is actually pretty cool for what it is, and the spider transforms into like a Spider Man, but not a Spider Man. <laughs> it's it's like it's this demonic guy with six arms, and the the bottom four arms can't move; they're not articulated. <laughs> so they kind of just like 
they're they're rubbery and they kind of like spring around a little bit as he moves. So they're always like they're always jaunty, you know. They're always just kind of like chipper and popping as he's like moving through the set. Yep. But anyway, uh, yeah, the spider mutates into the size of a man. A little Dayu Zombie Bastards callback there. A a infinitely superior film. Uh, I'll, I'll, <laughs> well, I mean, that film is infinitely superior to every film, so that's not really... I don't know if that's a fair metric for Veronica. Uh, our spider uh, demon uh, played by the uh, incredibly named Scotch Hopkins. <laughs> um Star of the twenty eight film twenty eighteen film, uh, Demon Protocol, which sounds like it should be another HV episode. Oh, we're we're gonna be going through the entire Ferotica cinematic universe now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the can, can, the, the spider monster is kind of the embodiment of Dejet's id, and when mm-hmm. Dejet goes to sleep, the spider monster, the spider monster man, becomes real and starts murdering people and kind of like living de Jet's forbidden fantasies but it's really just kind of snapping people's necks yes oh and it's uh the local police know the spider monster as le neck breaker <laughs> which this is just amazing it's just the greatest it's the greatest thing i've never laughed so hard in my life oh, watching me- watching the albino spider i was just like on the floor <laughs> reeling in agony from how much i was laughing this was just the greatest thing i've ever seen Oh no, there is a mysterious murderer who likes to, uh, how you say, break the necks of, of beautiful women. And Zutalos, Claude, what shall we call him? Yep. How about Le Neckbreaker? Claude, you genius. <laughs> right. That like is to- verbatim. That's verbatim dialogue there from the film. To skip ahead a little bit. So, so the neckbreaker is literally, it's, it's got six arms, it's gigantic, it's albino, it's a spider monster. And like, so, so Dejet dies and the spider monster is, is like, like cops break down the door, the door that's made out of like one sheet of balsa wood. Mm-hmm. And like, you, and like, so the cops break into the room, right? And they, they see this gigantic spider monster and immediately the cops are like, Oh no, it must be the neckbreaker. Let's shoot it. And, and like they never they never acknowledge that it's a giant spider demon. Yeah, this is my favorite thing because like the spider demon is just wandering around this world and literally nobody comments on the fact there's this 7 foot tall six six armed man who is I think naked? He's naked. Well? He's naked the whole... He's not even trying to... It's not even like he's got a trench coat and he's trying to hide the fact he's a mutant. He's just walking around just... naked and being like, I'm, I'm a giant spider demon. No one cares. But, but clearly has no visible genitalia. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the these three police... It's filmed. It's filmed like an Ed Wood film. Like in this incredibly flat frame, they break through this piece of balsa wood and they see this murderous seven foot tall pale skinned naked spider demon and literally nobody reacts they just go right oh there he is le neckbreaker and it's just like the important thing about the neckbreaker isn't that he breaks the necks it's that he is a spider that was cursed to being a human (laughs) by magic tears from a boob eye there's something bigger going on here than than the like four people the spider monster has murdered. <laughs> it's 
it's it's it's so good it's so good but um, let's um let's 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 so let's let's do what we're here for we we are we are a podcast of serious academics we are trained as scholars you and i are men of science we 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 are beholden to a higher calling uh what what do we make of the albino spider of dechet <laughs> okay 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 so <laughs> So it would be it would be really it would be really easy it'd be really easy for us to just continue to dunk on this film and I promise you that is exactly what I'm going to do. And I I but, don't even like I'm on the other end of this. I don't even want to dunk on this. Like I love Verotica. I'm going to watch this again today. This movie is just like it was so much fun. I I love like the first like 50 minutes. We'll get we'll get there. We'll, we'll, we will get, get if, to if this not, film, not, if, not Countess Bathory. If this film was an hour long, I would totally agree with you. Um, so, so, but here's, here's the thing. There is, from everything I've been able to find out, everything, um, Glenn Danzig is 100% sincere in his artistic intentions. Like, this is not in... in in the Danzig mind, the Danzig uh, internal life world, <laughs> this is this is an accurate representation of what he wanted to put on screen, and it is not supposed to be something that genuinely made me laugh until my my sides hurt. Um, he he is a hundred percent sincere, and what I think is that this kind of elevates. I mean, like. This is technically, like, uh, I have never, I have never worked on a professional film, and I could direct a better film than this. And, <laughs> I, like, like <laughs> but this is there is something there is something deeply pure about the kind of artistic intent here, even if it's resulted in a complete failure. But it's a failure that's so complete it kind of swings around into being a success. Uh, just not at what the director meant it to be a success at. Um, basically, what I'm saying is, Verosica proves that auteur theory is 100% correct. <laughs> that, that this is, is bold. A, this is a film that could only have been made by the singular vision of one artistic individual. I, I completely agree with that. And I think there's there's a tragic beauty to a lot of Danzig's performative existence. And I think Verotica slots perfectly into that because you can see, I can see in my mind what Danzig saw in his, right? I can mm. see like, okay, like an eight foot tall albino demon spider looms in the shadows. A, a sex worker on the streets of Paris leans against a brick wall. The, the spider demon hidden, cloaked in darkness says... Mademoiselle, I would like to take you for the evening. And then and then jumps out and he's a monster, but instead you get like Le Ass Fuck is my speciality. <laughs> you know, like there's there's some there's a lost in translation that's going on here. Like when it comes to Danzig too, like there's that there's that amazing photo of Danzig carrying the giant box of kitty litter. There's there's the infamous interview where Danzig is talking about his evil artwork and his darkness and his macabre nature. And then he starts talking about where his favorite candle stores are located and how he likes to, to feed birds at the park. And I think, like, you're completely right about auteur theory and Danzig. And I think, like, 
the beautiful thing here is that like for a lot of artists there's no there there's a separation their stage persona is someone else you know like when when they go on stage they're wild they're a different being when and then like when they go back home like okay they wash the makeup off they sit down you know they're a normal guy with a normal life danzig is always danzig and and mm-hmm. that that that's there's there's like a beautiful harmony that that gets translated into Veronica that makes it such a beautiful mess. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And and I, but what's what's, I think the pro- the, the problem that we're going to run into here is that, um, th- this film l- literally doesn't know how to put a narrative sequence together. So when you, when you said earlier that Dejet's um friend is maybe their roommate we're gonna have to do a lot of this in it when talking about this film because there's a lot that the film just just doesn't know how to communicate to to a viewer yes i, like, I think we yeah. we do not know so like we we can't we can't try and kind of mediate the meaning of the text because the text's meaning in this case is like completely uh on on a kind of surface reading is is genuinely almost incoherent so what we have to do is we have to kind of uh we have to kind of do a reconstructive hermeneutics on this film to try and and extract something from it which is not there um Basically, what I'm saying is that um, Glenn Danzig's cinematic aesthetic has clearly been influenced um, by his big intellectual mentor, Jacques Derrida. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Because there's a lot in here that we have to read by its absence or its incompleteness. Um, And that is precisely because Danzig doesn't know what he's doing. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) if we want to try and kind of treat it seriously and to take it seriously as a cultural object which i think we kind of should um then yeah we we, that's the way we have to approach it i i I completely agree i I completely agree with that right and like like this is this also gets into like one of my favorite works by derrida is the law of genre right Mm -hmm. and like the, the this film is a great example of how the law of genre operates in in the derridian sense right this is a horror movie that's a comedy that is a softcore porno and it's operating at all of those levels simultaneously and none of those levels simultaneously. It, it participates in like whatever genre it walks into and there's something fantastic about that. But also it's because I sort of agree with you, but this, I think this, this film highlights something really important, which is that genre is not just an aesthetic. Right, it's not just an aesthetic; it's a set of formal and stylistic narrative rules and conventions. Yes, um, and that actually extends to filmmaking as a whole, or yes. any, yep. se- or a- even any sequential narrative. You need, you need um, conventions uh, and stylistic and formal rules in order to lend a work um, actual believability as occupying a particular generic space. Yeah, absolutely, but. Danzig has clearly, he's clearly noticed like, hey, quite a lot of porno and music videos are shot in this particular style, and quite a lot of horror films are filmed in this particular style, but I don't think he knows why <laughs> that these things happen. <laughs> so like, there's there is the 
there is the kind of aesthetic appropriation of certain generic objects and styles, but this film doesn't know what to do with any of them and just sort of ends up randomly smashing them together in the edit to hope that it'll all hang together. And it is incredible. <laughs> it is. It is truly, it is truly fantastic. I, yeah, definitely uh, the albino spider of De Jet is, is my favorite of the three. I think uh, this, it's the Veronica, the Veronica anthology starts off with its strongest entry. Yeah. It's, it's by far the best one. It is. It's honestly like if, if Andy Kaufman directed a horror movie, uh, <laughs> no, it, if if Andy Kaufman got really horny and directed a horror film, this is what it would be. <laughs> I love the suggestion that this is like a Kaufman prank. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, honestly, in the first 25, 30 minutes, I was just sitting there going, is this real? <laughs> is this is this the Danzig parody film that I've accidentally found on Amazon? I, I think uh, that this says a lot about us as individuals because your reaction was, is this real? And my reaction was, is this real? <laughs> but yeah, I think um, uh, it's, it's kind of like how, how I looked at the albino spider of Dejet because I think you're absolutely right when you said that we need to take all cultural texts kind of seriously. You know, and it's just like, like this is this is a product of our culture. This is part of the world that we live in. So we do need to give it the same kind of critical seriousness that we would give some incredibly tired Shakespearean blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> so some of the interesting things that were going on in the Albino Spider Dijet for me were, were obviously like I cannot look away from boobs with eyes in them because <laughs> no one can. Because they're literally looking back at you. And like like the, the guy that DeJet is having sex with in the beginning literally runs away because he's like, oh my God, your tits is out looking at me. And he like runs out of the room. <laughs> oh, no. And I am just like, that whole time I'm like, dude, you are missed. That is a missed opportunity, man. There is something incredibly interesting going on here. You need to stay and find out. Um, Yeah, I mean, a disappointing reaction. You would, you would hope that, you know in the moment you would be at least kind of intrigued i mean like like to be quite frank my ideal romantic partner has eyes where i should not be <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just just gonna put it out there that's on my tinder profile that's that's once, just once again it is. ash ash getting horny for nalethotep so. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so i think that the, the boob eyes as i will call them they're they're doing something really interesting from a cinematic perspective because this movie is very it's a, it's a very bog standard male gaze kind of film, right? Especially when we get into change of face, our next um, episode, episodic entry. Mm-hmm. Um, we can talk about that a little bit more, but like this movie's really into the male gaze and what are boob eyes, if not the female gaze incarnate? What, what leads to all of this chaos, if not a man being unable to accept that women have an agential gaze? And I think that this this movie is making a really bold statement that that men who are so wrapped up in their toxic masculinity, they 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 can't they can't do the the difficult work of breaking down their own internalization of patriarchal structures, and so the mere <laughs> encounter with the female gaze is enough to set about a chain of events that leads to the creation of a giant spider demon. But- <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I'm just gonna let I'm just gonna let that one massage its way into your brain for a second. <laughs> I I would like to agree with you. 
I, I, in, in, in all seriousness, I would very much like to agree with you. But there are, there are, there are two things which I think make my agreement to that line of argument, that that way of reading the film, uh, difficult if not impossible. Hit me. Firstly, uh, the 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 second of these three stories, which follows immediately after that, just destroys literally everything you've just said. Um, because it reveals that really what Danziger is interested in is not a almost Hegelian master-slave dialectic being played out on the grounds of sexual politics, uh, mostly because he doesn't understand what that is um, or have really any interest in exploring it. So, and secondly, I think that is a meaning that you have extracted from the kind of fragments of the film uh, which the film itself does not communicate. I would disagree with your first point, and and we'll get we'll get into why in a moment. And I think I would also disagree with your second point, and that this film is just fragments. It is it is offering us a a we we're looking at a kaleidoscopic image here. It's it's disjointed and it's chaotic and it's leaving us much more agency than like. Like a, like, like a Marvel movie doesn't want you to have any agency when you're watching it. You, are, you get strapped into a Levitico treatment chair and the movie is blasted into your cortex. This movie, you have to, like, you have to jump into it. You have to fight this movie for meaning. And, and I think when you engage in that, you necessarily change the discursive nature of the text. There's something ludic about Veronica, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, yes, I no, yeah. You you ca- you cannot read this film. You have to sit through it. You have to. You have to. <laughs> you have to, you have to have fight to, it for meaning. You have to play it. You have to play it. You have to endure it. But the the issue there is then that the the multiplicity of people this as an open ended oh yeah people are definitely na- going to have as a, literally as an open ended narrative game you yeah you you can't you can't ensure that that line of reasoning has any stability but i th- i think there there's a really important lesson there and that's you can't have that with any piece of artwork artwork necessarily requires a level of ambiguity and that level of ambiguity is going to necessarily mean that people will misinterpret it Right, like um, They Live is a great example. They Live is a movie about, you know, like corporate takeover of culture. It's an anti-capitalist film. But there are a lot of people who read it as being deeply anti-Semitic. And that's definitely not the message John Carpenter has intended with the film. And he's said that much on several different occasions. And so, like, I, I think what you're saying is true, but it's also true about art conceptually. And not just Veronica specifically. <laughs> No, that's 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 a fair point. But whether whether and that raises kind of bigger questions of what does it mean to actually try and uh read a film in any kind of coherent or or systematic way. Yes. And I think films like th- and I think films like this, which are so clearly the product of one very determined uh, individual with a very particular kind of aesthetic. I do think that if you accept that about this film, you also have to incorporate the idea of what was intended. Now, we don't have to accept it universally, 
but is that what Danzig intends? Oh, certainly not. <laughs> but I think like when it comes when it comes to authorial intent, you can kind of like you can take it or leave it, you know? Like when when you interpret a text, you don't need to uh spend a lot of time wrestling with what the author wanted to do. Um, when yeah. you can be much more concerned with what the text is doing or can which, do rather which which means then which means then we kind of have to consider this as distinct from its director writer financier entirely which i'm not opposed to which i'm not opposed to Oh yeah, no, I, d- I definitely think that they they operate in tandem. You know, like there there's an agential nature to all art. All art is Frankensteinian. The second it's released, it has yeah, its own precisely. life, its own goals, its own agency. And I think Veronica has that. Um, precisely. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think that that's. Uh, I think that does us for the albino spider digest. Do you have any parting comments about this one? I I don't I don't. Um, let's move on, shall we? To to face off to to face face stealer to to I'm, <laughs> face I'm a, stealer to i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna take take your face person well my creepies how about a little change of face <laughs> beautiful <laughs> um this this section follows um mystery girl a woman with the ability, with the desire, with the drive to steal the faces of other beautiful women. Um, Mystery Girl is um, someone who works as a stripper uh, and steals steals faces. And Hey, the faces aren't going to steal themselves, man. Someone's got to do the work. <laughs> I, you know what? I I I think I think in in this economy, you know, it's bad enough to to be working in a often extremely exploitative industry like uh, adult entertainment, uh, working as a stripper, and where clubs can treat you incredibly badly, um, and where your ability to organize and and better your conditions with your fellow workers is is legally and and often violently restricted. Not only that, but you also have to steal faces because. That's just what you got to do, um, <laughs> uh, and this this is this is maybe where where the the cracks in the Danzig vision of cinema start start to become slightly more apparent, um, because uh, this this section has very little dialogue, um, and surprisingly for a short section about literally stealing people's faces has surprisingly little action, but it has maybe the most intense performance from any actor in the entire film, um, which we'll get onto. Um, but where should we start with this? Where should we start with this one? Um, so I, I have a lot to say about change of face. I think this is the one that I got most into on a critical level. Um, because there's a lot, there's a lot going on in Change of Face that I really enjoyed from just kind of like both an artistic standpoint and a, a critical standpoint. I think this, this I'm being as, as always, I'm being completely and flatly sincere. Um, but I think the the first thing we should point out is yet again in a horror movie, cops are totally useless. Cops are beyond useless. Just cops comically beyond. inept. <laughs> 
there's there's so okay let me let me let me paint a scene for our audience who maybe haven't seen Veronica yet the camera is positioned on the ground in the foreground of the shot is an in-focus human body with the face ripped off there is no face on this body because it has been ripped off by a killer the body is bloody because its face has been ripped off in the background are some cops and the cops are like <laughs> Gee whiz, officers, what's going on here? There's certainly a mystery afoot. I don't know what happened. There's a body with no face in front of them. There's your there's some energy here. There's some action. Like, come on, guys. Like Um, yeah, my my favorite thing about the scene is like the whole thing, the whole sequence is framed in an in an area that looks to be about six feet. So you have the body, and then literally like Half a yard behind the body, you have two cops holding coffee cups. And then our bald, bald hero walks into the frame uh, from literally like three paces behind them and just barks at these two two guys. So what do we got? And it's the, the body is literally at his feet. <laughs> right, right. He just tripped over it on the way in. Like, uh, And they go, yeah, somebody's somebody's had their face chopped off. That's weird, isn't it? And they'll go, and then there's this is my favorite thing about the entire film is the, the every scene lasts about five to ten seconds longer than the actors thought it should <laughs> because because the the one kind of auteur choice that Danzig has made is that you don't interrupt actors when they're busy, um, so if they're doing something, just roll, just keep rolling, just keep just keep rolling, don't cut away ever don't ever cut and so there's these these three guys who are maybe not the most confident screen performers performers i will say that knowing that they're professional actors and doing far better with their careers than i ever could and they're just sort of standing there for like five seconds just basically looking at each other wondering what to do i mean this is that's down to danzig's direction though because danzig should say cut yeah right we don't don't, like he he should have you should have told them at some point, like, okay, after you are shocked by the fact you just found a faceless human corpse, you you have this motivation. You you feel these things, but but that but that there's no direction in 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 a change of face. So all of our characters are just kind of ambiently floating around. <laughs> yeah, all all of the all of the uh, performers is like they've just swallowed a handful of Ambien. <laughs> they don't. They don't really know what they're doing because nobody has told them what to do. And then my favorite, my favorite thing about this is, so we have our setup, we have, um, and the, oh, oh, okay. So the reason that mystery girl is taking people's faces is because they have been disfigured. Um, and it's, it's clearly a direct reference, a, an, an homage, a Danzig esque, um, remake of Eyes Without a Face from the 1960s, the great French classics, uh, classic film. Um, but made made in 30 minutes for about $65 and however much the coffee run cost them, and that's it. Um, so th- she's taking people's faces because she 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 has has scars on her face for reasons which are never explained. But my favorite thing is that. For literally no reason, <laughs> is that we just fade to black at one point, and on screen come the words, 
six months later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was it was there was is such an unnecessary transition. And and what happened, what it what is revealed in the very next scene is that now fourteen people, fourteen beautiful women in the Los Angeles area have been found in the space of six months with their faces removed. And they think, the police think, they have a suspicion. They and this suspicion. scene, this scene is fantastic. So it's our, one one cop actually has emotion and his emotion is just being mad all the time. He's playing like, <laughs> he, he's, he's just playing the stock character of kind of the angry, frustrated cop. Mm-hmm. And like his, his like sergeant or his cop boss or whatever walks, walks in and he's just yeah, like, oh, I don't, I don't know, chief. I don't know what's going on here. There's some kind of, we were, we're up to 13 bodies. I think it might be a serial killer. And like the sergeant just like with perfect comedic timing looks over and he's like, you think? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so on, good. It's been going on for, for six months. Um, and presumably quite a lot of these um, victims um, are sex workers or strippers or involved in that um, line of work. Uh, and nobody has put two and two together. The police in this are amazingly useless. Uh, yes, beyond beyond useless. And I think this leads this leads me into my kind of like second police rated point for change of face. Um, and that's that. Hang on, I need two seconds here. Do 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 do. So my my second kind of like police related point is that. Really, change of face isn't about um, Mystery Girl, who's kind of our, our face-stealing protagonist. Um, it's about the the sex workers at the strip club teaming up mm-hmm. together against the police. Yeah. And so we, we, we get a couple scenes where, like, the we, we are led to believe that the other strippers know that Mystery Girl steals faces. Right, because they're, they, they let the cop, or they let her know that the cops are there looking for her. They try to stall the cops. They try to protect her from the cops. Mm-hmm. And and we have no reason to believe that they don't know that she steals faces. Like, literally stealing human faces. And furthermore, I would put it to you that this is the morally correct thing to do. Because at most, Mystery Girl has killed 14 people over six months. That is infinitely less harm than is institutionally delivered by any law enforcement agency. The stunned silence. The stunned silence. But it's 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 a little bit we get this little sprinkling of unintentional class consciousness here, right? Yes, ish. Kind of. I mean every, everything in this movie has the caveat of yes, ish, kind of. You know, because we are we're working with 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 an amorphous, free flowing, freely formable uh, text when we're working with and- erotica. And I think, and I think, only someone with your unique mind could extract that from this that is, text. That is the most heartwarming insult I have ever received. <laughs> I, I, as as with you, I am being, I am being a hundred percent sincere when I say that nobody could, can can can, expound upon this film like you can, and I mean that as nothing more than a deeply sincere compliment. Um. So there is there is a climactic so we have our characters we have our plucky underdog face stealing hero 
Sure, oh, let's have... go for it. Oh, I mean, we are, we are two for two for su- superhero serial killer movies so far. Uh, and we have our um, antagonist, big, big bad, the the boldest, angriest man in LA, who is who kind of talks like he's like sixteen cups of espresso in <laughs> to a four a.m. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's got a hemorrhoid the size of a softball. This guy is just purely <laughs> pure rage on the verge of pure tears. Rage. Um, and so we have, we have that's that's our plot. Now the the rest of this film, the rest of this section of the film, is made up of. I'm I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it. The most talented performers involved in the whole project. Uh, who are the strippers? Who do incredible work? And uh, there are three. There are three sequences where we're in the strip club, and um, all all we know how to do is we're going to we're gonna we've got a great we've got a great rock track, and we got the rights to the whole song, so we're gonna play the whole song, and we're gonna get some great sh- shots of 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 the strippers working at the club, and that and we'll do that three times. In a thirty-minute short film, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, so about a third of this uh, section, about a third of this uh, third of the entire film, is just us getting to see what makes Glenn Danzig really horny. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think I think that this movie is definitely a window into like Danzig's id. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I know a lot about him now. <laughs> in a way that in a way that I'm not entirely comfortable with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this this movie does let us get get personal with Danzig in a way that I don't think anyone ever intended. <laughs> but what it, what I will mm-hmm. say is that like I, I think you're right like this this has the best acting. The, the this this section of the movie, I really oh, think yeah. that um Rachel Alleg, I hope I'm saying her last name right. Like uh, Rachel Alleg yes, played Mystery uh, Girl, and and, I, and Rachel Alleg is very good. I I think she does a great job with it. I, I think she's menacing. She's cold, you know. And like all of all of the other strippers around her, like they're really talented strippers, right? And and like they deliver their lines well. Like like this this was good. And then like I think the whole th- show has good like. The props are all good, and the costuming is all good, and the blood is all good, right? It's it's all good. It's just kind of held back by the fact that like Danzig is the director. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you there because I do not think the costuming is good. No, so it's so, okay. So here's here's my thing, and, and like because really really the only costume we have we have like uh, the albino spider monster, and then we have not Which... Countess Bathory are, are really the only two costumes we get, and I think um, like. Wh- I also think Mystery Girls, because Mystery Girl is also a stripper, but performs with a um, kind of face veil and headdress. And it looks like something um, that was stitched together by someone in literally 15 minutes. I, I, I love it. It's so, it's cheesy. It's camp. It's like this ridiculous, but I think like, so here's, here's my take on all of the costumes, including hers. And that the costuming is all serviceable. Right. This certainly, like, I'm not going to suggest that this needs to win awards for like the greatest movie costumes ever made. But what I will but. say is that you turn <laughs> the lights down on the albino spider guy, you hide him in darkness, like you should with a monster. 
right? Mystery girl, you give her some more mysterious lighting. If it wasn't just kind of like flat three point, if there would have been a lot more harsh raking lighting, like the movie wants giallo lighting. And if it would have given her that giallo lighting, her, her more basic costumes would have been so much more stark and menacing. What I, what I really love, what I really love about what you've just said is that you've said that the only way that these things can look good is if they're literally not visible. <laughs> but this is, this is a universal truth of horror costuming though. Which I agree with. Yes, I totally agree with. Like, like you take you take any good you take Alien and you pump up the lights to like the average like ambient lighting of a YouTube set, and and that Alien monster is going to look awful. You know, you're gonna yes. you're gonna see the seams in the costume. You are gonna see like all of these awkward details, like we can with the albino spider guy. Yes, but this is that's that's the thing that um, Ridley Scott and James Cameron and, and knew. But, um, but yeah, everyone actually, else knows that lighting is important, except for Glenn Danzig. <laughs> so, um, I tell you, I, what I really love, though, is that he's clearly discovered gels. Um, so we get loads of stuff where, like, the entire frame is just blue. <laughs> you, you you do get a little bit of, like, it, it, it has that kind of creep show giallo vibe where there's just a splash of light. But it's not, like, I, I, I really feel bad for all of the production people on set. Who, who probably in the back of their head were like, oh, Jesus Christ, please, no, don't. <laughs> like, but like, it's Glenn Danzig and he's signing all the checks. So I'm sure everyone was like, ah, yes, Mr. Danzig, right away, sir. <laughs> and I, I say this full knowing that like, if I, if I got a phone call tomorrow and Danzig was like, do you, can, can I dress you up like a killer bee? And you're going to be, and I, I, I would be on the plane before he could hang up. Um, so... I, yes, I agree with you. The, the costuming is serviceable, but is let down by the fact that the film doesn't know. Again, the film doesn't know what what to do with 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 what it's got. Um, because I think if you have massive, if you have incredibly severe artistic limitations or financial limitations, those limitations necessitate a more imaginative working with the stylistic and formal conventions of what it is you're trying to produce. I, I definitely so, I think that that is that's part of what's going on here, right? Is that if you if you look at the behind the scenes production stills, like there's a full crew there. They've hired career actors. Danzig is shooting on what looks at least like a professional camera. But I think it's I, it's yeah, one of those totally. problems where like your your skill level doesn't match the equipment and the talent you have around you. So and, like, and like that's, if, the, if that's this would have been, thing. we were talking about this beforehand, but if this would have been like Rob Zombie directing the same material, it would have been infinitely superior. Oh, infinitely. And this is, I think is the thing, which is like better equipment won't make you a better filmmaker. Yes. The, the, this is, this is an object lesson for that classic, like learn, learn how to do stuff before you buy really fancy gear. Yeah, totally. Um, because, because, my 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 favorite thing about this is uh the director has has learned that from other better films that occasionally occasionally what directors do is they they zoom in on a particular part of the frame like the director of this film has learned that but he doesn't know why they do that <laughs> so so there are several <laughs> moments in this where we just get like slow zooms onto something which then just falls out of focus and we cut 
and we cut to black. <laughs> and because because uh, because this is desperately trying to pad its runtime as well, there's so much of this which feels like kind of wading through treacle when we get into the second half. Like it's very slow, and there's so much where you like what you like if you're going to do a serial killer cop face-off <laughs> drama, what you need is you need, like, sharp, fast, rapid cutting. You need to kind of generate pace and excitement, like, in post, because you maybe don't have the space or the resources or the time to do, like, a big chase sequence or, like, a big fight scene or something like that. So you have to kind of do it in, like, really careful and, and kind of quick, fast editing and some really expressive music and some really good lighting choices and it's like, it's all like bog standard three point lighting. It's all these flat frames. It's all like, uh, like the one, the angriest man in LA just yelling at, at women in a strip club. And you're like, this is just, I genuinely, I genuinely, I said this before we started recording, but this has given me a huge amount of appreciation for Rob Zombie. <laughs> see i've been i've been telling everyone i feel like i'm like i'm warning people i've been i've been i'm the town crier who's been screaming about rob zombie's talent and now you almost stare into this mirror the mirror of my rightness um i mean i i like a lot of zombies films but i like him as a filmmaker more now after having sat through this after being exposed to glenn danzig but this brings us on to our third and final section. Well, before before we leave uh, behind uh, change of face, I, I do want to say that that I, I really I really do believe that change of face was like I, I would go as far as to call this one competent in in, in terms of Danzig's ability. You know, uh, uh, c- compared compared to how like because there were there were scenes in um, the albino spider of Dejet, where you could see the piece of plywood they propped on top of the set to try and make it look like a ceiling. <laughs> and this one didn't have that. They, they actually filmed in a strip club and they actually had extras sitting around throwing dollars on the stage like people would at a strip club. No, that's and the, the, the that's strip club had like a, a bouncer slash DJ. Like there was, it felt like a, a, it felt like I walked into a weird strip club. It actually it worked as a place, and then there was like a back room where the strippers uh, prepared for their shows, and there was like there were props, there were makeup, there were mirrors, there was like a little like storage area. Like it, it's it's a little better, but I, I do have to say when it comes to Mystery Girl, um, I, I think that there's there, there's something interesting going on with her character, right? And I think like. Mystery Girl is speaking to like oppressive physical beauty standards that are levied on women, especially women who work in service industries like stripping. And uh, coupling that with society's total lack of a safety net and total inability to care for these people, right? And like these these two forces are kind of mixing together and leading Mystery Girl to this place where the only answer is to steal faces. And I feel that like however unintentionally right throwing danzig's danzig just wanted a hot girl with a mask to to wear skull pasties and strip for a while which yes we've all been there i can forgive him for that one but like i think like the text itself kind of comes together and like between the the antagonism that's naturally forming between these strippers and the police 
and with mystery girls just kind of like weird crime and unique motivation i think like this one actually kind of works for me as like a really awkward like unified narrative like like this one I, this one's actually a story which given given the context is kind of surprising <laughs> i i would agree with you and actually there but i think that instead of being a 30 minute part of a hour and a half feature film to get that good story and to allow the really good performance of the actor playing uh, Mystery Girl to breathe and actually develop so that it would feel like an homage to um, uh, to Eyes Without a Face, what you would need to do is you'd need to cut this to about three minutes long. I, I actually, I think I've got the opposite take where you drop both other skits, you double your production time, and, and you give me Glenn Danzig presents Eyes Without a Giallo Face 2022. Um, I, I, what, I think, what I think is sort of the same, but they should have done that with the first section. Um, <laughs> they should have done that with the whole movie. They should have, no, they should have done that and had like an incredible spider demon, le neckbreaker horror comedy farce. But this could be, it could have been a really tight, intense short horror film that was oh i I totally agree yeah 180 seconds long there's there's so much potential in the albino spider of dejet and i think it's it's let down by the fact that danzig is a big goofball yeah but um would you would you like to get on to our contessa okay okay all right all right uh little uh little magic here talk about a face-off I guess it's a little hard for a working girl to put on her face every day. Now, how about something a little more hisgoric? <laughs> okay, okay, let's <laughs> let's okay. Because I'm gonna be honest, I I thought I thought there was potential in the in the in the middle third of the film, but it's padded. It's incredibly badly put together. Um, it kind of collapses under its own weight in lots of very fundamental ways and it's and its ending is rubbish and then we get on to the final third of the film which in my opinion is aggressively bad and like just genuinely difficult to sit through um yeah because 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 i'm gonna i'm i'm going to i'm gonna i'm gonna sum up the final 30 minutes of this film in four words um thrift store catherine bathory (laughs) I think you I think you nailed it. And and guess what? Guess what? Our accents are back. We got we got people to do accents again. But it isn't like French comedy accents. It's like, uh, where are you from exactly? Uh it's a kind of European it's European. Wait, oh they're from Euro- they're from Europe. The, these are Europe accents. Yeah, they're they're from the country of Europe in the setting of historic. Yes. Um, <laughs> It's it it's this one is is the one that I genuinely dislike and I think is just so dull and so boring. I think I think so. Here's kind of here's kind of like my broad takes on all of these. The albino spider of Dejet is incredibly interesting and it's doing a lot of really cool weird stuff. I really like yeah. the effects. I love the costuming. I think it's spoiled by the lighting and Danzig's awkward camera work. Uh, and it's and it's also really funny. Yeah, and and that that unintentionally makes it hilarious. Change of face, 
I, I think we've got like 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 a lot like the albino spider of Dijet, we've got the seed of a fantastic Jalo homage movie. But like it's it's a little slow, it's a little choppy, it's a little awkward. Nevertheless, like Change of Face is my favorite of the three. I think I think the plot and the characters and the intermix between the kind of social classes that we're seeing is really interesting. It's really moving, and it's it's honestly good to see all of these sex workers banding together and and fighting like they they literally form an informal union and resist the police invading their workspace. Yeah. Like and that that's great. I love seeing that. And then we get to uh Jukija Contessa of Blood. Here for me like the story is the most boring because it's of yeah, it's just the story of Elizabeth Bathory, but like what's weird about this one? Costume design better. Lighting better. Effects better. Setting better. There's a lot more interesting stuff going, or like like visually in terms of cinema as an art form. Like the third one is just way better, but the like but the plot went away. <laughs> I will say that I think the costuming in this third one is genuinely on the level of a Monty Python film. It looks like they raided a medieval times restaurant and just stole a whole bunch of stuff from it. I think the costuming is is and because it's lit better because the lighting is better you can actually mm-hmm. see how genuinely cheap everything looks i the i think sets, her, her spiked sets, cowl is cool the, the and that's set, that's the only it's, costume it's cool it's cool but it looks like they they cut it together out of foam and rubber the sets look awful no <laughs> i i just i see i think i think the craftspeople and, and the artists behind this film did did good jobs i just think that when when you're making a dark text, like you need a lot to work with it, right? Any horror prop outside of its its context looks really, 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 really silly. Right? Like like if you if you ever see any kind of horror prop in like a museum, it loses all of its punch, you know? And I think we we've got that going on here because a lot of people worked really hard on this film and I don't wanna I don't wanna knock down their talent and their skill because it's great. I just think that like Danzig is a bit of a klutz if I'm going to be really generous and he doesn't like when you hand him cool stuff he doesn't know how to make it cool still. I think that's I think that's yeah maybe I'm being a little bit harsh. I think you're right. I think I'm I am the nice guy and I'm here to be nice to everyone goddamn. <laughs> I I think the issue is that the people who were putting this stuff together had literally $25 and 30 minutes to make this stuff. I, I know Danzig is wealthy because of the misfits and, and the merchandising and his own career. I would love to know because like, I, I think like that's a really interesting point you bring up because we have this kind of like competing thing where like, this looks like it has the budget of a student film. But if you see those production stills, like Danzig has a whole crew there. I'm really yeah. confused. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's Elizabeth Bathory in... Europe time in, right, in Europe historical time. in in historical Europe time uh and uh, and oh god the plot just does not exist the plot doesn't exist um there is there are scenes here there is one scene there is one <laughs> there is one moment where I, where I was just kind of like I I sort of went into a fugue state <laughs> they, this was which is which is the kind of stereotypical Elizabeth Bathory moment. It's the mirror scene where we're covered in blood and we're admiring our new youthful face. 
and we do some vamping in front of the mirror. And ordinarily that would be like a two second shot and then we we would be on to the next thing. That shot lasts 60 seconds. <laughs> and you're just sitting there watching it going, cut, where's the cut? Where's where's the edit? Where's the where's the new angle? Where is where is the nope, we're just looking at the person who is like admiring themselves in the mirror and it just keeps going. And it's it stops being fun by this point and it just gets really difficult to sit through because like you say, all the ideas have gone. <laughs> we had we had our fun, we had our fun kind of neo erotic supernatural murder idea. We had our Giallo knockoff uh, idea. The idea is now the ideas are now done. Yeah, yeah. Danzig uh, <laughs> Danzig put away his like so this is kind of what I was expecting the whole thing would be, because this is the most this is a music video I've ever felt about a movie. Yeah. You know, and it's like, okay, like there's no plot. There's just a bunch of really cool scenes. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking like, like, like Danzig, like my favorite Danzig song, Sistina's is playing. And I'm like, oh, hey, this is cool. Like it works with the music. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, this is supposed to be a story. It's supposed to be a movie I'm watching. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. I think like um, there, there are a couple scenes where, um, so Alice Tate, who's credited as Alice Haig, who plays uh, Drukija, Countessa of Blood. Um, and this is and this is by no means, I, I think, a fault of her. But there's a couple moments where she looks towards the camera and she looks slightly off camera to where I'm guessing Danzig was right at either yeah. behind the camera or right next to it being being the big, important director, man. And like because there's a couple scenes where she's just kind of like having fun in blood. And then she kind of just like looks, looks at the camera, looks right next to it. And that is 100 percent her looking at Danzig and, and going like, should I stop? Should I keep going? What the hell am I doing right now? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, I honestly, I feel for the people uh, on camera because what they have been given to work with is something that you could do in, again, three minutes and forty-five seconds. You know, the length of a of a of a cool music video. But they're there for <laughs> it's half an hour and. And there is nothing to do except, you know, get naked and splash around in the in the fake blood, um, and 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 that that's it. That's all she wrote. <laughs> yeah, I really wish that um, I had like more to to say about the the final installment here. But like, like I could I could keep going about the albino spider of Dijet. Like we didn't talk to, about the scene in the porno. Like I think that there there's a lot oh. to talk about patriarchy liberal feminism uh, recapitulation of violent power structures like the albino spider of Dijet has a lot of interesting kind of film we, critic film theory points we are, we are adding we are adding uh, another spin-off to the hp universe <laughs> which is which is where we just talk about it's just going to be spider demons it's just going to be spider demons and we're just going to talk about them okay i'm fine with i'm, I'm fine with spider demons this show <laughs> and the spider demons that goes that goes alongside the uh pasolini uh who killed pasolini which will run for 200 episodes and of course um uh uh rom uh rom communism <laughs> yeah yeah and i think like so this is the part about uh contessa of blood that i didn't like is that like 
some of the visuals are really cool. Like, like, I mean, like really cool in the sense of like Danzig, really cool. Like these are Danzig visuals. These are just hot women covered in blood, but there's nothing there. There are better Elizabeth Bathory movies. That's yeah, it. Yes. Like, like this is, this is just a, a shorter, less good Elizabeth Bathory movie. And it's not, it's not giving me like, like in the context of the other two, I wanted supernatural. Like I wanted there to be a demon or something. I wanted this to be Jalo Elizabeth Bathory. Like yeah. that, that's, that would be, that's unique. That's interesting. But this is just kind of like, yeah. like you, when, when you kept saying like, this is set in Europe and in, in, in a historic time period with a Europe accent, I'm like, <laughs> yes, the, the, that's like all you can say about this movie is it's Elizabeth Bathory in historic Europe. <laughs> instead of, instead of watching that, watch literally anything by Mario Bava. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> right. Or like go watch the history channel, Elizabeth Bathory special. Like it's um, it's better and it's got more blood. Like <laughs> so, so uh, let's kind of let's kind of recap. So we had we had the first section which uh, we both really loved. We had the second section which um, I think you liked a little bit more than me. I thought there was there was there was the germ there was the germ of a good idea, but it was. I just think it was kind of. I think I think buried. it's probably safe to say that I liked this entire movie a little bit more than you did. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know what? I think if this movie had just been the Spider Demon of uh, Dejet, uh we both would have loved this film. Uh, true, yeah, the Spider Demon stuff was the highlight for me. And then we get to this one, and it's and it's so boring, and it just, you know, like you say, the actors, are just, the poor actors, are just standing in frame, going, "We don't know what to do. What should we do? Should we just keep going? He's paying us. I think we'll just keep going. I don't know." And the whole time um, I'm just like, Danzig, do something Danzig-y. Where are my demons? Where are my, like, weird Danzig shit? Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't listen to Danzig for History Channel knockoffs. I listen to Danzig because he makes songs about having sex with demons and stuff. Right? Like, this, isn't, um, this is not complicated. Just give me what I came here for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, we, 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 have some, we have some beautiful ladies splashing around naked in the blood, which... You know, like I say, it like you said, it feels very much like a music video, but that he decided to pad out horribly, <laughs> right? And so, so one thing, one thing I think that's actually maybe interesting about Contessa of Blood is that, like, in filmmaking, you want your camera to be motivated. Where your camera is looking has to have a purpose, and this sounds really obvious because this is one hundred and one stuff. <laughs> but you want yeah. your camera to be to be looking at something interesting. What the camera is looking at is moving the story forward. And what's weird is in is in the Albino Spider of Dejet, we get this great sequence, great contextually. We get this sequence where like the camera zooms in on Dejet and she's looking, you know, like really harsh lighting, deep shadows. She's looking tragic. And then zoom into a table and there's some pills spilt on the table. And then zoom back to Dejet and she's like, oh no, woe is me. And like without seeing her take the pills, without her saying, I am now going to commit suicide via an overdose. In order to defeat the spider demon, we know she's doing that because it's given context, you know? And then, like, we, we get to the final sequence in Contessa of Blood, where she's where, where there's just an attractive woman splish-splashing in a bathtub full of virgin blood. And, like, the camera's just, like, it, it, it's it's looking like someone's trying to hold a 300-pound, like, like over-geared-out over movie camera. And, like, they, they can't manage the weight. And so it's just, like, it, for, for part of it, it zooms in to, like, the base of the bathtub. And, like, it just doesn't know where to go. It's like, what the fuck is happening? 
desperately trying to find something to kind of like pin the action to and just like oh just oh i i got i got deeply frustrated i got deeply frustrated by the end of the film mostly because i really think that there was there was one amazing 60 minute horror comedy special in here and one really good giallo inspired short film but there was not 90 minutes of of like good creative ideas to to kind of work through and you know i'll admit i don't know i don't know a huge amount about danzig um now you do but now i now again (laughs) i feel like i have i feel like i have a very deep and intimate understanding of uh of what glenn is into um and for that i can only say thank you ash for introducing me <laughs> to this text i mean we we are not even at episode 100 yet so the hits the hits are just going to keep on coming until we next meet stay spooky <laughs> oh what fun what fun we all ha- what fun we've had today Thanks for tuning in, creeps. And remember, stay spooky. Ha 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 